Good morning, Grace Chapel. I want to dismiss all the children today for their classes, preschool through the fifth grade. You are released. You may go uh, right now. Good worship today. So we continue in it now as we're going to be looking into God's Word, but uh, started off where myth number three is where we are today. Hey, everybody, God has a blueprint for your life. Nobody's excited about that? God has a blueprint for your life. Um, God's will is described by many different metaphors that over the, over the years, over the centuries, sincere Christians have tried to capture the will of God in a, in a phrase, in a statement, something you can put on a t-shirt, and uh, it, it, it's impossible. It's impossible. And this is one of them. Uh, another one that, uh, like when I was growing up, I used to hear this all the time, um, God is the pilot and you are the co-pilot sort of thing. And then it, and when you watch people live their life, it's more like, no, you're the pilot. <laughs> and then when things get hairy, you go, okay, co-pilot, God, you, you take over. I've screwed everything up. You just, you drive it because I don't want to drive anymore. So, so there's all these metaphors. And some say there is this perfect plan. There's this perfect plan that must not be deviated from, and he's got one for every one of us. Have you heard it or described this way before? You, you, maybe you've thought about it. Um, have you ever wondered about God's control and his guidance um, as you navigate just a normal everyday 24-hour period in your life? Do you, do you ever stop to think about it? That has this all been dictated and predetermined and God has this perfect plan for me? Um, <laughs> have you ever wondered if you're still following his perfect blueprint? Maybe that's where most of us uh, fall. Have you noticed, though, and I, at least I have, that when it comes time to make major decisions in somebody's life, most of us all of a sudden get experience this heightened interest in the will of God, right? Yeah, um, uh, on most normal days, Christians um, tend to pretty much follow their own lead or follow their own heart, which is what we looked at last week, another myth, which after we looked at it last week, hopefully you came to the same conclusion that I did, it doesn't end well. That's not a good way to go. Um, not that we don't care, right? It's not that we don't care about God's will the rest of the time, but when you're making a choice about a job, when you're making a choice about selecting which of these colleges should I go to, um, determining the future of this romantic relationship you're involved in, or deciding where to live, we don't want to blow it, right? We don't want to have regrets. So we seek God's will during those times with extra fervor. We pray for it. We agonize over it. We lose sleep. We ask others about it. We ask them to pray along with us that we might be able to discover God's perfect will in this huge decision, all in the hope that somehow it will become clearer what God wants us to do. After all, He's determined it already, right? And it's going to happen. So I just want to make sure I'm on the same page as the creator of the universe. That's all. Now, before I say anything else, 
I just want you to know, I do believe it is a really good thing that when you and I are faced with major life events, we are driven to seek God's face. That that is a step in the right direction. That's a good thing. I'm just pointing out all the time in between those major events where you and I are just doing normal life. Where's God's will then? So here's a passage that um, many today use. You, you might even have it on the wall of your home. And that's okay. It's a good thing. Put Scripture all over your house. Wonderful. No, it's good. But it's used to describe God's blueprint for our life. Here it is. <clears throat> it's Jeremiah 29, 11. Some of you, probably your life verse, right? Sorry, Matt. But for... No, it's good. It's good. It's an awesome verse. For I know the plans I have for you. Aha! Declares the Lord. <clears throat> Here are my plans. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And unfortunately, with this amazing verse and all of its principles for you and I for daily living, in our country in particular, in the United States of America, there is a, a, a resurgence. There's this, this growth of health and wealth preachers and teachers who take this verse and know what they say. They go, bingo, G7. That's God in his perfect number. I just <clears throat> See, God has a blueprint. And we all want God's blueprint unscrolled in front of us, right? Uh, for all those perplexing choices that we are faced with. And apparently, when you take this verse out of its context, God's blueprint for all of us involves prosperity and no harm. How's that been working out for you? Well, that's the blueprint for me then. I mean, who doesn't want that? It's also why there are many walking away from the church today declaring, you know, that's what they said, but it doesn't work. Christianity doesn't work if that's what it is. And I'm not buying this God blueprint stuff. I'm going to go look for a new architect. Clearly, there are some times and there are some situations when God has a specific blueprint detailed for people. And He declares it through His Word. Here's a blatant example. So Hosea chapter 1, 1 to 3, might not be the one you always run to. And the word of the Lord came to Hosea, that's in verse 1, and then later on it says, and when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, so this is, he gets a, he gets a, a word from God, it's, it's amazing. The Lord says to him, okay, so I want you to put yourself in Hosea's place right now. Go, take to, your sife, to, take to yourself a wife of whoredom. What? That's in the Bible? It's there. And have children of whoredom with her. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So what did Hosea do? So he went and he found this lady named Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. She, God, this was God's blueprint for Hosea. And then later in chapter 3, she runs off because... That's the kind of person she is and goes with another guy. And the Lord says to me in verse, chapter 3, verse 1, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. That's this wife I told you to get in the first place. 
even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they have turned to other gods and they're offering these cakes of raisins to these other gods, because that's what you, you did back then. Apparently, the gods like raisin cakes. And so he has to go back, and he goes, buys her for money from this guy who... God has a blueprint for your life. Do you really want to know it? Like Hosea? And hopefully you're just seeing my point that while I firmly believe that Scripture, the Word of God tells us that God is in control of everything, that He has plans for every detail of my life today, I believe that 100%. It's not always knowable. And maybe you don't want to know. This blueprint idea and all the other metaphors we use try to capture this, the glory of God and what He knows and, and what He has destined for each of us. This blueprint idea is sometimes presented um, in some popular preaching and in, you can even read it in some devotional books with its promises of prosperity. If you follow God's blueprint for your life, nothing bad will ever happen. It's a myth. That you can turn from a path that has been determined for you by our holy God and change His destiny for you. And that you, somehow you can ruin the original divine thing. You? Me? Really? Or worse yet, that you are the author of your destiny, and that is God's plan for you. He wants you to take charge. He wants you to run your life. He wants you to create and be this amazing human being that you get to choose. <laughs> Both of them are ludicrous. Okay, so then, okay, how do you live? How do you go through life? How do you make choices in life? What's, what do you do knowing that God has this divine plan for you and it's going to happen? I had, had a guy ask me years ago, and I, I have it asked quite often, does it even really matter what I choose? I mean, does it really matter if God's already planned it? Some Christians, they look for signs. You know, honey, we're out looking for the house yesterday, and we went down that street. You know what I just remembered about that street name? That is the name of my dad's dad's dad. So I'll, I know our house is on that street. It's a sign from God. Divine coincidences. Uh, how about open doors and closed doors? I'm sure almost every one of us would put our hand up that we prayed that in a prayer this last week. <laughs> God, open the door, close the door, just show us. What if there are five open doors, and they're all open, wide open, and they're all good, and they're all God-honoring? <laughs> what, what if God is testing you, and He wants you to knock a little longer on one of the closed doors? I'm just saying. I'm just. And others look deep within. They're looking for some sort of supernatural thing to happen, maybe a dream or a premonition uh, or a sense of inner peace. I, I've used that phrase a lot. I do. 
a sense of inner peace, to, to know the way. Does God give peace? All God's people said, amen. Yes, he, he does give peace, absolutely. But do we always know the difference between the peace of God and our own unreliable desires? Yeah, I got the peace of God about this. <laughs> I'm going to make a lot of money. <laughs> Just feeling good. I'm feeling pretty good about it. Some of us wisely, I think, major on fact-finding. Let's, let's find out what's really going on or, 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 or get some wise counsel or maybe we at least call a friend. But the thing I've noticed is that everybody prays a little more. Everybody gets on their knees. Lord, show me your will. Please, please just show me. And as I talk with other brothers and sisters in Christ, I sense that we, we all assume that God's will is both very important and that God's will is also very elusive. And I'd like to suggest today that the statement, God has a blueprint for my life, maybe isn't the best statement that we use. That it may be confusing because of the various ways in which it's presented in our culture today, um, that it may not be the best metaphor to keep your head and your heart in God's will. God's will. What a topic. I mean, I struggled to narrow it down today, so we're probably going to be here like three, four hours. It's like, it's like, I mean, how do you capture that in a message? I mean, seriously, but I did my best, and God's will is important for obvious reasons. Um, anytime God has a specific choice that you and I are supposed to make or a course of action we're supposed to take, and He's got it in mind, only a fool would ignore that, right? A fool. A bigger fool would defy it. Just ask Jonah. Remember Jonah? Chapters 1 through 3 of his book named after him, and God says, here's my specific will for you. Go tell these people about me. Have them repent. And Jonah goes, no, I don't like those people. I'm not. I'm going the opposite direction. And he ends up getting thrown off a boat in a storm, swallowed by this huge mammal, and uh, vomited up on the beach. It's like, and he goes and he does it. And he still doesn't like it, but he, at least he does it. Jonah found out that defiance is not a good option to the declared will of a holy God. An example for you and I in the 21st century would be we go into the New Testament and we see so clearly that every believer is to declare their faith and to live their faith in front of their world, wherever they're put. Defiance to that declared will of God is not a good idea. I have discovered that, and I'll bet many of you have discovered that also. God's will, though, is also seemingly elusive. And it's elusive for obvious reasons. Uh, as for God's will being elusive, it's elusive because, well, it just is. Because <laughs> it's God. Which raises a troubling question. If God's will is so important, and we all believe it is, right? Yeah, we're all good? Okay, we're all good with that. Why is it so hard for some Christians to find it? 
My answer to that would be, it isn't hard to find. And we are incorrect to say that it's so elusive. Most of God's will is spelled out in black and white, and for some of you in a little red, if you've got a red-letter edition Bible, it's not hidden. It's unfortunate that so many Christians feel that way about God's will, that it's hidden. In many cases, it appears hidden to you and I because we're looking for the wrong things out of this life out of this Christian life. The problem stems, stems from a concept many of us have been taught and heard in churches from birth. We've been led to believe that God has this highly detailed, scripted blueprint for our life. It's called God's best for you. Do you want God's best? Have you ever heard that? Do you want God's best? And all God's people say, oh, yeah, I mean, I want God's best. It's called his plan A. It includes a specific job. It includes a specific career, house, spouse, car, breakfast on Saturday, July 3rd, uh, 2021. Do you remember what you had yesterday? It was God's will. And if you miss it, you screw the whole thing up. And now you're on God's plan B. God's best for you is lost. So most of us in this room have now gone through the alphabet many times. It's, you can't, how do you unravel that mess? That kind of a blueprint doesn't exist. Not in the way that most of us have been told. The idea of a detailed blueprint for your life and for my life from God that you can screw up somehow. <laughs> it's a myth. It confuses God's omniscience, the fact that He knows everything. And it confuses it with His ordained divine will for every one of us, and that's unchangeable. No question. God knows everything. He's down, down to the numbers of the hair on my head. And I'm still doing okay. Down the number of the hair of my head. And God knows when one of those falls out. And his bottom line changes, and the numbers change. And he knows how many are going to eventually fall out before he calls me home. God is in control of not only my head, but he's in control of the entire universe. He created it. Human history is divinely ordained, and it will end just as God planned it before He even created it. But that doesn't translate into God has a plan for how many hairs I have, and I'm in rebellion if I try to replace some of them somehow. You see the difference? God told Hosea to marry Gomer. God told Moses and the children of Israel living in rebellion exactly where they were to camp and when they were to move. God told, sent Jeremiah to a potter's house and told him to stay there and watch for an object lesson. And he changed the apostle Paul's itinerary. Paul was fervent. He wanted to take the gospel into Asia, and God said, no, I don't want you to go there right now. I want you to go here. 
But these kinds of explicit instructions that we all wish we could get are exceptions. They're not the norm even for biblical heroes. And some of those heroes said no at times to God's explicit instructions, and God's plan still unfolded just like He had always planned. So, this idea of a perfect blueprint is not a good metaphor for describing, for understanding, and definitely not for even fulfilling God's will in my life. Then how does one discover God's plans? We discover God's will for our life with what He has already said. He said it in His declared will for all of life. It's called the Bible. And it's not so much you and I finding that we're in this search mode. It's not so much finding a specific blueprint that He's hidden away as it is more about the transformation of your and my spirit through His Holy Spirit to be more submissive to the Word that He's already given. People worry about choices, I worry about choices, and there's more than enough in God's Word that I haven't even tapped yet and applied to my life. In the Old Testament, Proverbs 4.25, let your eyes look directly forward. <laughs> Good advice, right? And your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Think about where you're putting your foot next. Then all your ways will be sure. I've told you where to put your foot next. I've told you how to respond in this situation. Just do it. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. In the New Testament, Ephesians, Paul, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Look carefully. It sounds like he just read this passage in Proverbs. Look carefully then how you walk. Nothing's changed in thousands of years. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil, and we don't want you to go there. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You see, Paul's telling us you can know the will of God. God's plan, His will is knowable, and by His grace and through the Holy Spirit's power, it is doable. The New Testament is packed, jam-packed with God's will for my life and yours. For instance, should Christians be rich or should they be poor? What do you think? Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 and 13, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know what it's like to be down there. And I know how it is to abound and have a whole bunch of stuff. But here's the thing. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can be generous when I have a lot. I can be generous when I have a little. The point is, be generous. My generosity to people 
in this life is not dependent on how God blesses me financially. That has nothing to do with it. You'll notice with God's declared will that there is little emphasis on the kinds of decisions that you and I commonly stress over. What am I going to wear today? <laughs> me, not you. I know none of you ever. What am I going to wear today? God, I can't go out of the house looking like this. I got nothing to wear. Lord, what should I wear? You know what the answer is? Clothes. <laughs> Look in your closet. It is full. Put any of it on. It's fine. Just get out of the house. Stop this. Instead, the primary emphasis from God's declared will for our lives, the Bible, is on a godly pattern of life. That's God's will for our life. A godly pattern, a godly character. That's what we should be concerned about wearing. Put on Jesus Christ. You have a choice of employment, three places. Put on Christ in any one of the three. I don't care. You have a choice of where to live. Put on Christ wherever you find yourself ending up. Put on Christ. Who, who should I marry? Well, as long as they're within the faith, God cares more about how we do marriage. He does than who we marry. Well, what should I do when the government moves further away from God? What's God's will for that? 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Whether it be from the emperor, to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, there it is again, godly character. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Ben just read that passage earlier in conjunction with uh, July 4th and our freedom that we have. We have freedom in Jesus Christ. Don't use that freedom as a cover-up for evil to do bad, but live as servants of God. Honor everyone. Everyone? My neighbor? Yeah. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And he's a looney tune. Put on Christ. So, so what about, you know, when I do choose unwisely? I think I've done that once or twice this year. You know, when I don't wear Christ. I mean, I really screwed it up. I fell in the pit, went off the path. Is the whole original plan vaporized? Like, where am I at, God? That's only a problem with thinking with a blueprint mindset because God is bigger than that. And He's not surprised, He's not fooled by our misbehavior. Child of God, there is always a path of obedience and repentance for every child of God in every situation, even on the back end of some really stupid decisions. And I know because I've been there. God forgives 
upon repentance every time. Do I get amen for that? Are there consequences? Those of you who have fallen, is there discipline? Yes, because that's a part of his plan, his will for our life also. But forgiveness, a plenty. Another problem with a blueprint mentality is that instead of, of worrying about the, the weightier matters of life, like godliness, mercy, justice, obedience, we fixate on finding the right mate, choosing the right career, or renting the right apartment. And I'm not saying those are unimportant. Those are, those are really important things. But they aren't nearly as important as a life of daily righteousness. Paul said to the Thessalonians, who really were a church that really kind of had it together. You know, they were very, he really commended them. In 1 Corinthians 4, 1 to 8, he said, Finally then, brothers... We ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, we, we told you what God's will for you was, and you're doing it. He said, just as you're doing it, that you do it even more. Just keep going. Don't, just, just don't rest on this. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God. Your sanctification. He has set you apart by his will for this particular purpose. And here it is. Listen to this. That you abstain from sexual immorality. Genesis, Thessalonians, 2021. The whole sexual immorality thing, it transcends generations. And Paul hits on it here. It's like that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we, are, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, his will who gives his Holy Spirit to you. God's will is very direct, right? Very clear, extremely relevant, no matter what culture or age you live in. A Christian leader asked a, a group of college students to list all the traits they were looking for in a mate, like their future spouse. And he said that the lists were impressive. The list revealed what most of the students were looking for, the perfect spouse. And then he asked them to look again at their lists, but instead of focusing on what they were looking for, he suggested they ask themselves another question. Why would a person like this ever want to marry you? See, that's the most important question. He said the room became strangely quiet. <laughs> Their blueprint mentality had put them in a search mode. We're not searching for anything, people. We're not only found, we're found. We're the lost sheep. We've been found. Most of them hadn't even considered that God's will for their future marriage might involve more than finding the right mate. 
or that the most important key to a great marriage might be who they become, not who they marry. That God might not desire to even show them who to marry at this present time if they're already ignoring His instructions for how to date correctly and purely. And it's all clearly spelled out in the Bible, God's will for my life. So let's put it all on the table. In most cases, you and I, we already know what God wants, don't we? Come on. What should I do? Sometimes it's it's a foregone conclusion. We all know what you should do. Do the right thing. And we're constantly convicted through the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, regurgitating the Word of God into our head, reminding us of what God has said so clearly. We are without excuse In Hebrews 4, it says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. And no creature is hidden from His sight, but we're all naked and exposed to the eyes of, of Him to whom we must give an account. We fall because we just don't think it works for the present moment. We're just not into it right now. So in everyday practice, you know what? I don't even think Christians actually believe God has a blueprint for their life. I think we treat God as a part-time architect, blueprint consultant, someone to turn to for the really big decisions, but someone who's not particularly relevant in the day-to-day stuff. Well, that's a problem. Because God doesn't do consulting. He does God. And we tend to turn our focus more toward finding rather than towards becoming more in the image of Jesus Christ. And that attitude's rather self-serving. It's hard for an athlete to follow a game plan if he misses all the team meetings. It's just as hard to follow the Word of God if we don't know the Scriptures, what they actually say, what they actually say as opposed to what we think they… I think I heard somebody say 25 years ago that this is what God says. Now, you you and I, we got to know. I've asked certain individuals when we've been in counseling who say, they grew up in the church. And I asked them the question, you know, how do you know when you die that you'll see Jesus? And I get this response quite often, because I've done my best. Like, what church did you grow up in? Or are you lying to me? You never went. It's not enough to make our best guess for salvation and for living this life of following Jesus Christ, to rely on religious hearsay or even religious heresy, to throw around trite phrases in an attempt to capture the grandeur of a holy God and His will for this planet. God's will for our day-to-day living is way too counterintuitive for that to leave it to our own thinking. I mean, who of us in this room would come up with love your enemies? Anybody? Keep your word 
at all costs, even when something better comes along. I want you to rejoice when you're going through an excruciating trial. Those kinds of responses only come from a spirit-indwelt believer who is spending a lot of time with their master. One of the things in God's will that He's commanded for each of us who knows Jesus Christ as our Savior is to remember and to do it often. Specifically to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross where His body was broken and where His blood was spilled to cover your and my sin debt once and for all. There is no other way. And we acknowledge that as we do this in unity together today. This bread, it's a symbol of Jesus' body, broken for you and for me. Jesus said to the disciples at that Last Supper, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's do it together. Then as they passed the cup to each other, Jesus said, this cup, it's a symbol of the, the covenant between God and man, written in the blood of His Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The blood had to be spilled. It had to be poured out for your sin and for my sin. Because of this, we even sit here and worship God today. Let's take it together. Would you rise with me as we pray? Our God and holy heavenly Father, we have remembered the sacrifice of your Son and our Savior Jesus. We de declared it as a, as a church family. Lord, by your power and through your grace, we desire to declare it as we go out into this community where by your decree and your divine will, you have placed each one of us specifically on purpose. And we glory in that. We want to be bold in that. We want to show love and patience in that. And we know we can do all these things through Christ who strengthens us. And we pray it in his most precious name. Amen.